don't know why I thought this man needed an introduction, but for those of you who don't know, Brother Hobson is North American Missions General Secretary. That means he's over all the church starts and the North American Mission Organization for United States and Canada. He travels, they travel extensively. They do so many things you cannot imagine. And in, in, in all honesty, it's a privilege for us to have him take time out of the schedule. He could have taken his time and just sat and just relaxed. You cannot imagine his schedule. But he's here today to minister the word of God. We love these people. Amen. Hallelujah. We love Brother and Sister Hobson. We appreciate the labors and the sacrifices they make for charging starting new churches. Thank you, brother. Thank you for letting me introduce you. Amen. Why don't we love the Lord? Do you feel the presence of the Lord in this place? What a, what a special presence of the Lord that is here today. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, we give you praise, glory, honor, power, praise belongs to you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, we know in whom we have believed. You are able you are glorious. You are true. You are mighty. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. It feels wonderful here today. Amen. It is such a delight and my privilege, really, to be with you always enjoy every opportunity uh, to come spend time with my family over here in Illinois. And it's just good to, to be with you and appreciate so much your great pastor and his wonderful wife. Just what wonderful leaders. And I appreciate, you know, I appreciate the freshness of just being willing to kind of change up things. I was listening to your schedule and, you know, sometimes we don't like change, but it, it you know, I, I, I heard Brother Haney, he told me one time, he said, Brother Hobson, he said, in Stockton, California, he said, we had prayer meeting every night of the week at one time or another. He said, we'd run it till people stopped coming, then we'd cancel it, then we'd start it up another night, and people thought it was brand new, and they'd just start showing up. <laughs> then people got tired of that night. He said, we'd just say, all right, we're canceling it. Then we'd start it another night. You know, sometimes that, that's a good thing. It's never a bad thing to give leaders a rest and, uh, uh, you know, and just, uh, it, it's just, and it's also good to be in the house of the Lord together. Amen. And so it is such a privilege to be here. Appreciate this church. I, I know you're standing, but I do want to say thank you for giving to Christmas for Christ, helping our missionaries in North America, over a thousand new works in the last seven years. In fact, this year, this year we started over 220-something works and uh, we're, we're thankful for that. Amen. Amen. And I saw your goal for Move the Mission, and I, I want to say thank you for giving to Move the Mission. I'm not in youth ministry, although I wish I was. I should be young enough to do that, but never mind. But, uh, you know, I, I do want to say thank you for giving to Move the Mission because uh, I know that last year they gave us a million dollars to help missionaries purchase properties across North America. All these new churches need places to have church. 
and uh, many of them are starting churches and then they're getting buildings given to them and the money's helping to remodel and all kinds of exciting things. Of course, you know it does put wheels on the gospel. Global Missions gets an incredibly large allocation to purchase vehicles and all kinds of things happen as a result of Move the Mission. I know that today is that offering and I just want to say thank you. I, I got the applications from our missionaries. We finalized them just this week and uh, you know I've got about a million dollars worth of ask for the youth ministries this year and uh, so uh, you know we're going to need every dime amen because dimes make dollars dollars make hundreds hundreds makes thousands and thousands make ten thousands and a hundred thousands and then you finally get to millions and that means every every penny counts amen and so we thank you for giving Genesis chapter number six Verse number 5 through 8. Isn't it amazing how quickly we can get ourselves into a mess? Have you ever thought about that? It's just, it's just amazing. It's human nature. I mean, it, it, it just amazes me, these lottery winners that end up bankrupt. That's just dumb. Come on now. But it doesn't really matter. We all have one time or another got ourselves into a situation we probably shouldn't have been in. And sometimes we blame it on the devil. We blame it even on God. For God forbid that we do, but we do. And it's amazing that many times it's just our own fault. Come on now. And it only took six chapters of the Bible for God to go, ooh, this, I'm not sure this was a good idea. That's what he said. Genesis chapter 6, verse number 5 through 8, he said, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it re now this is a powerful verse. And it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, All right, I'm just going to destroy it all. I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Both man, wow, even the animals got included in this thing. You think God's kind of ticked off? And the beast, and the creeping things, and even the birds. What do they have to do with it? He said, I'm going to destroy it all. For it repenteth me that I have made them. But aren't you glad for this one little sentence? One guy changed it. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your power. 
thank you for your might and your spirit. I thank you for what you've given to us, the mercies that you show to us, the grace that you have displayed in each one of our lives. Lord, the, what we haven't deserved, you've given to us, Lord. And I, I thank you for the word today, and I thank you for the power of your word, and asking you to minister to us today like only you can, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen, you may be seated here today. I want to speak to you for a little while on simply when grace stands between you and justice. When grace stands between you and justice. What is this thing called grace? Do we really understand how magnificent how absolutely marvelous this thing called grace is. Why we define it in various ways. One said it's the, in the simplest term, it's unmerited favor and really, really an, an, a supernatural enablement, empowerment for salvation that God gives us. One put it like this, grace is everything for nothing. To those who don't deserve it, Grace is what every man needs, what none can earn. Grace. Have you ever needed grace? Even in simple things in life, like I said, we're good at getting ourselves in messes. I was just a young teenager. Dear friend, I called Brother Larry Lloyd Uncle Larry because he was such a dear person in my life as just a young boy. I never forget, we used to visit his fruit stand and he would say, well, Bill, you get old enough, I want you to come work for me. Well, at about 16 years old, he was always into everything. Uncle Larry sold cars. He sold fruit. He had a produce stand. He was such a good salesman. He had a pumpkin stand. He had a Christmas tree stand. And even, he really got it, I think he made most of his money years ago. He, he got into this little market of selling roses on the side of the road. And it was amazing how much before everybody else started selling roses in Walmart and all these. And it's back when roses were really a lot of money per dozen and so he started kind of undercutting him have him shipped in from overseas and so I worked for Uncle Larry when I was 16 and 17 and 18 and finally after kind of managing his little spot one day he said why don't you just go and you know set up a little bit and you can sell roses and on the side of the road and of course it was kind of funny and I, I know that I you know I get chuckles when I tell this story but you know as a high school student my buddies would drive by and honk horns, making fun of me on the side of the road, selling roses for six bucks a dozen. But I was buying them for three dollars a dozen. Back then, people were making three dollars and 25 cents an hour. Thank God that's not what we do now, isn't it? I remember starting at L.S. Airs for $3.25 an hour. 
And it didn't take me long to figure it's going to take a whole lot of time to make a little bit of money. So for Uncle Larry, he had me side the road and I'd sit there and about 15 hours a week was all it took. And I was bringing home about $350 a week while all my other buddies were working for $3.35 or $0.25 an hour, bringing home about $85 or $90 a week. So I had no problem with them honking at me as I was waving back going, you have no idea. But as a young entrepreneur, I thought, you know, it might be a good idea for me to start branching out. And I started, it was really by accident one day. I was not feeling well and wanted to still make some money, so I paid somebody 10 bucks an hour, which that was a lot of money back then. And they sat there, and they sold roses, and they were extremely happy. And I was happy because I got paid that week for doing nothing. I thought, well, that's a pretty good idea. Maybe I can expand on this little opportunity. I remember we would sell roses for Valentine's Day and Mother's Day. The price always went up considerably. I'd have to pay about $7.50 a dozen, but I'd sell them for $15 a dozen. If you sell enough dozens, it's amazing how quickly you can make thousands of dollars. And so that worked pretty good the first year. So I thought, I'm going to try it the next year. And I'm going to, I think I was 17 years old. And I thought, I'm going to get somebody and I'm going to pay them pretty good money, about $15 or $20 an hour, which they're going to just freak out at that amount. And they have no idea what I'm going to be making. Well, that was a good idea. And I guaranteed, I asked Uncle Larry to order a bunch of extra roses on Valentine's Day. And I sold mine and... This person was supposed to sell theirs. And about 5.30, though, in the afternoon or 6 o'clock that evening, Valentine's Day, that time of night, it's pretty well over, I get a little phone call that says, well, what am I supposed to do with all these roses? And I said, well, what do you mean? They said, well, I got sick and had to leave. And I, to my horror, found out they had sold maybe two or three hundred dollars worth of roses. And I had a lot of roses on my hands. Now I realized that what I thought I had made, I didn't make. Now what I thought I was going to be in the positive, I was going to be in the negative. And for a young 17-year-old boy, realizing the rest of my life was going to be spent paying back roses... Because really, truthfully, it was at least a couple thousand dollars. Now, that's a lot of money even now. But it was a whole lot of money then. And I remember calling Uncle Larry and saying, I, I, I need to talk to you, but it needs to be face to face. He said, come on by the shop, Bill. And I went by there, and I remember handing him every dime in my pocket, everything. I, he said, what's this? I said, this is everything I sold and all the income. And I said, but here's the problem. And I explained the situation to him. And then I began to tell him that I, I knew I was going to owe him for quite some time, and I would do the best I could to work it off. And I'll never forget as this little sly grin got on Uncle Larry's face and 
picked, he went into his pocket again and he peeled out a few hundred dollars and he handed it to me and I said, what's this? He said, well, he said, you didn't make as much as you thought you were going to make today, but here, here's some money that will get you through. I said, no, you don't understand. I've got a lot of roses coming back. And, and, and you don't, there's only one problem with roses. They're worth a whole lot Valentine's morning, but they're not worth anything Valentine's night. And he said, I said, you've got all these roses left. What are you going to do? He said, well, that looks like it's my problem now, doesn't it? I said, no, sir, it's mine. He said, no, I appreciate you taking responsibility. But he little sly grin went across. He said, Bill, I made a whole lot of money today, and I'm not really worried about it, and it's not going to hurt me as bad as it would hurt you, so why don't you just let me work it out? I got you taken care of. I will never forget the feeling of relief on my life. Folks, that may be an example of human experience of us getting us into problems and circumstances. But the reality is this. Every one of us have been in circumstances. We needed a little grace. We needed a little mercy, something we really couldn't afford on our own, something we really couldn't pay for. It was completely undeserving. I tell you, as I mentioned before, it only took us really three chapters to mess up. In Genesis chapter 3, there is a fall in the garden. In Genesis chapter 3, God had created this perfect utopia for mankind, everything given. And in Genesis chapter 3, it all comes crashing down by decisions and choices mankind and woman made at that time. And we find it, we call it the fall in the garden. It's where sin separated mankind from God. And yet that first mention of grace... It doesn't take too many more verses to go by. It gets a little worse. But in Genesis chapter 6, we find this word grace. And Noah finds grace in the eyes of God. Most of my life, I reading the Old Testament and New, many times we reference the Old Testament as simply the law and the New Testament, this grip giving of grace. However, I would, I would propose to you today that as I begin to read and study this book and as I begin to observe this word called grace, I begin to find out that grace is not merely mentioned only in the New Testament, that I don't have to wait until God showing up in the New Testament uh, to experience that God said, yes, I'm going to tell you what sin is, uh, but I want to remind you and I want to, somebody to know in the house uh, that God is not some God just waiting for you to mess up uh, so he can kick you out. Uh, but God, uh, because you do not deserve it, uh, nor do we earn it, uh, but by grace we are saved. Uh, oh, I'm so thankful. Uh, I don't have to wait. and read an entire Old Testament and not hear the word grace. 
Because I would submit to you that grace is not merely a word for the New Testament. Yes, it's displayed greatly by his death, by his redemption. We can't live without it. But can I tell you from the very beginning, I want somebody to know that God is a gracious God from the very beginning. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't an, oh, let me fix this now. No, but in the very beginning of the book of Genesis, God is already saying, I want to give something to mankind they don't deserve. They don't earn it. They don't get it on their own merit and on their own ability. But I want you to know there's grace. I want you to know there's mercy. I want you to know there's love. I want you to know there's a peace. I want you to know there's a joy you can have. Oh, I've come today to tell somebody that you will find grace mentioned in every book of the Bible. Not just Genesis, because in the book of Genesis we find God's grace revealed in the sin-filled world as God all of a sudden begins to develop a relationship with a sinful family whose patriarch was Abraham. But now God promises that through a sinful man and his world, God was going to reveal and give promise and blessing and would ultimately bless the whole world through this man by the name of Abraham written in Genesis but we don't have to wait much longer because in the book of Exodus God shows again with grace and God's grace is given to those enslaved people bringing them out of an Egyptian bondage and then in the book of Leviticus God says I'm not going to let you wait I want to give you a road map to get back I'm going to show you how you can get atonement for the sin that you have oh we didn't wait very much longer that we get to the book of Numbers and then we find that God reveals grace by his patiently helping the people that he calls his own wandering around in the wilderness leading them to a promised land in spite of their constant complaining But in Deuteronomy, God says, well, I want to show you grace again by giving Israel the promised land despite of their unrighteousness at that moment. I'm not, I'm not saying it's okay to be unrighteous. The word of God says you should not sin, that the grace of God might abound. But I'm here to tell you to tell somebody, you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, but God said, I know who you are. I know what your nature is. That's why I come to be the Savior of the world. It doesn't stop in Deuteronomy. In the book of Joshua, God shows grace to Israel with his, they just continually repeated victory after victory as they conquest the land, this promised land. Even though they really were outnumbered and at times they struggled to fully obey God, but God just kept saying, hey, let me give you this victory. I know you don't deserve it, but let me show you a little bit of grace. Judges, God shows his grace again when he takes a sinful, weak Israelite nation and then God uses them to purge the land repeatedly of foreign incursion and adultery. Oh, we get to the book of Ruth and now we find grace again by God showing his grace in allowing a poor, desolate woman from a foreign land to show up in the lineage of Christ. That doesn't sound like a God that's looking to hurt somebody. That's a God that loves 
loves you, that understands where you're at, that wants you to have grace today. First and second Samuel, think about the grace displayed as God gives grace to David, a murderer, adulterer. David, you got a bunch of problems, but somehow... Because you kept coming back to God. God says, that's a man after my own heart. I I have a way of forgiving. He establishes his throne forever. Oh, in 1 and 2 Kings, God repeatedly showed grace by prolonging judgment. Really, in that day, it was as the king went, so with the nation. But God repeatedly, you find it written in First and Second Kings, God says, because of David, I'm not going to do this now. Because of David, I'm not going to do this. God continually gives grace and gives that mercy to his people. First and Second Chronicles displays God's grace by repeatedly reassuring that the returning exiles of God's promises to David and his sons, even over and over in Ezra, we find God's grace to Israel as God worked through the most powerful pagan king, Cyrus. Somehow, working through him, God brings the nation back to Israel to rebuild the temple. God says, you think... It's by your own merit. No, no. You think it's by your own ability. No, no. But here's what I'm able to do. I'm able to work and weave and do. And I can work through the most godless person to bring you where I need you to be. Nehemiah, we find the grace of God displayed by God saying, I'm going to provide for you. Oh, you may be in captivity, but I'm going to help you rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. What was Jerusalem? Well, that city represented the heart of God's promises to the people. And so what God says is this. I'm going to bring back to the forefront the promises that I gave you long ago. I want to remind you again. Oh, can I tell somebody in the house? It's not a bad thing that every once in a while God just shows up in our lives and says, Hey, I know where you're at, but can I remind you of the promises I made to you? If you'll just do what I ask you to do, if you'll just bring yourself back to the obedience of God, God will do what he promised he would do. Because there's days and there's weeks and there's months and I'm so thankful that God has brought a time as a time as this because man, I remind you there is a time and a season where grace stands between you and justice. don't deserve it we really shouldn't have it oh can I tell you I don't care how how good you've been since God got a hold of you only reason you've been good is because God got a hold of you Who are we to get all righteous and feeling like we're so good that we're better than everybody else? No, no. But for the grace of God, there go I. I got to be reminded once again that it wasn't anything but his grace. It wasn't anything but his mercy that brought you here. But what a thankful note that God brings to us. And that is it's because of him I can face tomorrow. Esther. God brings to us this great book, Esther. 
God shows grace in protecting his people from a plot to wipe them out. God, in the book of Job, shows grace in vindicating a suffering man's cry that his Redeemer lives, who will put all things right in the world or in the next. Ah, it was the psalmist. The psalmist we see, and it shows grace so beautifully as it consistently reminds us of the love God has for his people and his desire to shelter us within his wings. It's Proverbs where we see the wisdom of God's grace as it reminds us that as he gives and displays the love of God for his people and his desire to shelter them in it. But not only that, but Proverbs reveals to us the life of happiness that is only found in God. We get to Ecclesiastes and God begins to reveal again grace in showing us and reminding us that only God's mercy can satisfy, satisfy a sinner's heart. You get to the Song of Solomon and there you find a beautiful display of God's grace and love for his bride, the church. But in the book of Isaiah we find God showing again grace by reassuring us that God's presence is with us and his desire has always been to restore sinners. Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah shows us that God's grace is promised. It's a promising, a, a new and better covenant that we see in Lamentations. God's grace is, is an unfailing faithfulness in the midst of horrible sadness. What am I saying to somebody today? I'm saying that grace is interwoven throughout the entire word of God. That you may have come here today with things. You see, it's always been the enemy's job to be accuser of the brethren. He is one that wails accusations at us all the time. But it's always been the mercy and grace of God that says, no, no, condemnation, you're not welcome here. Repentance, you are. Because it's through repentance God says, I am going to redeem you I'm going to restore you I'm going to oh it's by his grace it's Ezekiel that shows God's grace in cleansing and replacing hard hearts with new ones. It's, it's in Daniel that God says, I want to show you my grace by my consistent and repeated miraculous provision of protection for my servants. Hosea, Hosea, a description of a man whose wife is a prostitute and yet it really is a display of God's grace and his unstoppable love towards his wife and yet certainly a representation of Israel constantly backsliding but God remarkably coming back over and over going but wait I just want to remind you I love you I just want to remind you I'm here I just want to remind you that you're my first love I just I want to remind somebody here today I don't care what your background is I don't care who you are or what you've done. I don't care what your pedigree is. I want to remind somebody in the house, his grace is sufficient. He loved you. He died for you so that you might have life. You say, Brother Hobson, are you saying that there will always be grace? No, I am not. But I am saying there is grace today. 
justice will come. You just better hope your sins are covered in the blood. Because what he does in covering us with his grace and his mercy that when we are recipients of that, the only way we are recipients of God's grace is through repentance. It's a, if you do this, I will do that, God says. Now, does that mean that I earn it? Absolutely not. You can't earn something you don't deserve. And yet, yet in Joel, we find God again showing grace in that promise. He said, it's not always going to be like this. There's going to come a day in Joel chapter 2. He said, I will in the last days pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Amos. Amos, God's going to reveal in that great book the grace in his promise of restoration in spite of the rampant corruption. But Obadiah Obadiah, we find in that great book, God's grace by promising judgment on Edom. And when God promises judgment on Edom, what really what he was saying was, Israel, I know there's been a horrible oppressor. Israel, I'm going to tell you there is going to be restoration of Israel to the land despite of your Babylonian captivity. Oh, I know that we live in a world where it's dark. I know we live in a place where it's difficult. But God wants to tell somebody in the house, it's not always going to be this way. To Jonah, oh, what a great book of grace. Jonah. Jonah shows that God's grace towards this immoral Nineveh. You've got a moral prophet and you've got an immoral nation. The pagans and the prophets all needed grace in that book. Think about it. That book, let's just spend a little time on that book. Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh because I'm going to destroy them, but I want to give you an opportunity to show them grace. But Jonah, are you kidding me, God? Not them. They don't deserve your grace. Come on. To whose much is given, much is required. If we're not careful as a church, we can start looking at people and go, well, they don't deserve that grace. Well, then who needs grace? Both of you. So what does Jonah do? He disobeys God. Never a good idea. And when you're going to disobey God, yeah, it's probably not wise to get in a boat. He wasn't the smartest of prophets. 
and I'm going to go in the opposite direction of which you want me to go. And it's obvious Jonah doesn't like the Ninevites. He's going the opposite way. And jo- Jonah, he directly obeys, disobeys God. Now, do you think God had a right to go, all right, next, out of here. I mean, if you're not listening, if you want to get on a boat, if you're dumb enough to get on a boat disobeying me, enjoy the fish. <laughs> Have a fun ride. But instead, God shows grace to the person that was supposed to preach grace. And God shows himself by throwing a storm in the midst. Sometimes a storm is God's grace. Correcting the path we're on. It looks bleak for that ship. Jonah's fleeing in the wrong direction. The crew is obviously scared out of their minds. And they feel like they're headed for death too. Now, now God could have destroyed the whole crew too. Why? Because when they get frightened, what do they start doing? Idolatry. Everybody on the boat starts praying to their God instead of the God. Well, that wouldn't have been difficult. God could have got rid of them all. But instead, God's grace shows up again. And instead of they're they're just understanding that, okay, you're an idolater, you're this, you're that, you're an idiot prophet, so you're out of here. God says, no, I'm going to give grace. And in the middle of the storm, Jonah fesses up. Well, this is my fault. What? Yeah, I didn't listen to my God. Excuse me? Well, we can take care of that problem. It's amazing how quick your friends are. Yeah, I knew he didn't have it in him. I mean, they were willing to let him go along on the journey until he was the one causing the storm. But if it's between you and I, well, you know, there's just a problem with that. So we're going to take care of the you. And they threw him overboard. And amazingly, the grace of God in so many ways, because interestingly enough, God uses them throwing him over the bo- overboard to go, okay, yeah, let's calm the storm stuff. Pfft. Now all of a sudden you got a bunch of atheists going, oh, there is a God. Yeah. Read it. Every one of them begin to worship the God. They got a revelation. Whoa, grace is here. Not for that, bud, but for us it's here. (laughs) 
But what they don't know is that God had every, every right to let that fish swallow Jonah and that be the end of the story. But instead, God says, you know what? I'm going to wrap your grace up in the midst of a smelly fish's stomach. And that fish is going to swim real fast. And he's going to take you to where you need to go. And he's going to spit you up on a... Because he's going to spit you out right where you're supposed to be. And still, still the Bible says, instead of giving Jonah and those men what they deserved, God showed them more grace and mercy. And then Jonah goes to Nineveh. Now, I must give credit to credit where credit is due. I'll never forget the message Brother Jerry Jones preached many years ago, the world's worst preacher. It's, he preached it so long ago, I should start preaching that. Because then they'd think I preached it, and they'd think I was a better preacher than what I am, you know. But Brother Jones would probably come calling. Hey, that's my man. Anyway. The world's worst preacher. Jonah. Think about it. God has given him grace enough to live. He spits him up on the shore. Jonah takes him. They say it's going to take three days just to get across town. And for 40 days, all Jonah preaches. 40 days and God's going to blow you all up. I bet he's almost saying it with happiness. All right, God made me come here and in 40 days you're going to be gone. Can you imagine what a horrible preacher that would be? (laughs) Giving you no hope of anything other than, yeah, you're just over for you. Might as well go pack up and die. Because in 40 days, you're, you're, you're smoked. That's all he preached, folks. Talk about a bad preacher. No hope. Until the king goes, ooh, I don't like the sound of this. Anybody got any ideas of what we can do to get out of this? And somebody had a bright, good idea. Maybe we need to start calling on God and repent. And God says, all right, I'm going to forgive the nation of Nineveh. You talk about a God, oh, you don't have to study long until you find out that Nineveh was the most God-forsaken, godless, horrifically vile, immoral city in the world. And yet God sends them the world's worst preacher who only tells them Because he's got a bad attitude too. Oh, you you don't think he had a bad attitude? All you got to do is read a little bit of the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 4 verse (laughs) 1. See, Jonah gets mad at God. Because God shows them mercy. That must have been a pretty bad place. Because in the book of Jonah, chapter 4, verse 1, he said, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. 
And he was very angry and he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying? When I was in my country doing my own stuff, having my own good time, that's basically what he was saying. Therefore, I fled before you unto Tarshish. I was trying to go the other way because I knew. What do you know? I knew that thou art a gracious God. Merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. Jonah said, I knew what was going to happen if I came. I knew you were going to be gracious and kind, and so I didn't want to go because I knew this place. But can I tell you, God knows you. God knows everything about you. God knows every fault. God knows every inconsistency. And yet in the midst of it all, God says, hey, I'm going to send a preacher. I want you to know there's hope. I want you to know there's deliverance. I want you to know you don't have to live that way anymore. Oh, it's not just a New Testament verse, but it's an Old Testament promise. I'm going to send grace. I'm going to send mercy. I'm going to send love. I want you to know sin will destroy you, but grace can bring hope. And in the book of Micah, we find him saying, I want to show you grace by that prophecy, repeated insistence on God pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression. Oh, Nahum, we find God showing grace in that reminding Israel of the good news. He kept saying there's good news coming, peace and promises that the Assyrians have tormented you now for the last time. I am coming. Oh, can I tell you, there's a voice of truth. God is coming soon. There's a voice of truth. That soon and very soon we're going to see the king. Soon and very soon. Not always will grace stand between you and justice. But today is the day. Now is the opportunity. Now hope is here. Habakkuk, you show grace by the trust that faith regardless of the opposition freeing us to rejoice in God even though there's desolation everywhere Zephaniah shows God's grace in giving in the Lord's joyful singing over his disobedient yet beloved people how how does God continue to pour out grace even in Haggai God says here's a little grace I'm going to promise a wayward people that the latter glory it's going to be better. In Zechariah, God shows his grace in that divine pledge to open up a fountain of God's people to cleanse them from the uncleanliness that they were living in. Even in Malachi, God closes out the Old Testament by saying, I want to show you some grace by declaring consistently my love for my people. It's just a reaffirming, constant reminder that God's grace is here today. Have you ever thought about Jonah and God? Jonah and Jesus, so much similarity. But yet, I mean, really, even Jesus referenced it at one point in Matthew 
12, 41, he said, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. We don't have to be relegated to the world's worst preacher. No, we get the New Testament. And the New Testament shows a perfect way and gives us an hope starting at the very beginning. Even the book of John, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Oh, can I tell somebody today, the living Word is here. It's Christ in us. The hope of glory. Just like Jonah. You know, we're, we're like Jonah and we're like Nineveh. You see, we rebel like Jonah, but Jesus saves better than Jonah. You, you know, you, you look at it through, you know, Jonah spent three days in a well. Jesus spent three days in a grave. Both of them at one point were in ships in the middle of tempests. Both of them got woke up at night going, you better save us. But oh, can I tell you, there's one greater than Jonah in the house. There's one greater than all of that. Oh, to the Ephesians, God said this. He said that in the ages to come, you might show the exceeding riches of the grace and his kindness toward us through Christ. For by grace are you saved. Are you saved through faith? Not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. But you see, works are very different than obedience. Works do not save me just because I obey him. Because the truth is, when I repent, I am doing nothing for salvation. Other than simply saying, God, I need to change. It was his blood. When I go into a baptism watery grave, it is not my goodness that brings grace. No, no, it was his shed blood on Calvary. That's why it's important to be baptized. And it's very important to be baptized in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because I get not only his blood applied, but his name applied. And not only become, oh, come on now, I become adopted into this thing. It's not my love. It's not what I do that earns the repentance and the salvation and the washing of sins. No, no. But it's my obedience that brings opportunity for God to do what he's already paid to do. And you see, even the Bible said all have have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us needs grace. Even in Acts, we find quickly. And great grace was upon them all. And even to the Romans, Paul spoke and he said, For if by the transgression of one man, death reigned through the one. Adam messed up in Genesis. 
but let me tie it all together because we've been waiting. We've been trying the atonement that was given to us in Leviticus. We've been obeying the law all through, but the sin just keeps getting pushed ahead. But oh, through the transgression of one man, death reigned through one. But how much more will those who receive the abundance of what? Grace. And of the gift of righteousness reign in life through what? The one, Christ Jesus. You need grace today, you can have it. There's room at the cross for each and every one of us. There's opportunity. I don't care what the background of your life is, nor does he. Because he specializes in saying, yeah, but I came. That you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I'm asking you, would you stand with me today? It's when grace, grace stands between you and justice. Aren't you glad for grace today in the house? Aren't you glad for his mercy in the house today? I'm opening this altar. You know, we got a lot of room in this altar, and I think it'd be a good time for all of us to make our way to this altar today. Even it doesn't matter because we all need grace today. But if you've never repented of your sins, and we're all making our way, if you've never repented of your sins, today's a great opportunity to do so. Because we're not here to condemn you. We're here to bring to you hope. You see, there's former drug addicts in the house. Can I get an amen? There's former, and I bet there's probably just about everything here. Mistakes, troubles, trials. You say, oh, I was a good person. Yeah, but the problem the Bible says all have sinned. I mean, let's just be honest. Mankind did together. You know, I read a book several years ago called Cyber Effect. And it, it, it basically explains why there's so much chaos in, in our cyber world. And, and really, it's a frightening thing because, you know, there, there's just been an increase in all kinds of debauchery and, and weirdness. How many know that? It's just any imagination of evil hearts are there. What he said was in Cyber Effect was this, that until the internet, until till that, people, you, you could have little pockets of people, but now they're kind of gathering together and they create multitudes and they get traction. And it's not that there's any more, it's just that they're more vocal. But you, it's more prevalent. And you got all kinds of chaos in our world all the junk that's there but oh can I tell you there's nothing like the grace of God sweeping over us cleansing and washing and renewing because the truth is everybody in the house needs grace at one point or another 
just like cyber effect, the more people you put in a room. You know, why did, why did the children of Israel walk out of promised land? It was just a short journey. Excuse me, walk out of Egypt to the promised land. Short journey to the promised land. But they don't get there. And the whole generation has to die off. This. Very first thing, you brought us here to die. And bring you here to die. Yeah, we're to call us everyone to die. And bring you here to die. God just said, come. Well, he's going to bring deliverance another way. And he did. They get across. Well, now we're going to die because we don't have anything to eat. We're not going to die. There's a promise. No, we need something to drink. Oh, my word. No wonder he struck the rock. He's ticked off. It cost him a promise, too, of disobedience. But isn't it amazing? You know, the more you get to, you know, so the second time they get to the promised land, what does, what does Joshua do? He just simply says to them, and, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, we're going to walk around the walls. But he says, before we walk around the walls, I want to give you a little message. What is it? Shut up and march. I mean, I'm sorry, but that's what God said. He said, tell him not to speak. Now, that's a little bit harsher, probably, the whole shot. Anyway, whatever. Why? Because you don't need to talk about this. Because it's not going to come by your hand. How many know it's true? People get together, and if you're not careful, you start thinking just weird stuff. I mean, I, I, I have young, when we had young boys nephews, my son I, I have a little statement I believe that for every young boy you add to the equation, you can start with one but every one boy you add to the equation every time you add one, you lower 20% of IQ for the cumulative group so you get five or six in the room you're in negative territory they'll come up with dumb things and you can look at him going, what were you thinking? And it's just, oh no, it's his idea. Come on now. Come on, we've all had the, it was his idea thing. So what am I saying to you today? I'm saying that there's room at the cross today. Grace is here. Justice is going to show up. But today is your day of opportunity. Why don't we today lift up our voices? Go ahead. Just say, God, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm, I, want, I don't want to live that way anymore. God, I, I need you. Come on, there's people that need to be delivered from addictions. There's people that need to be delivered from things and sin that's got them bound. But oh, the grace of God is here. Don't listen to the condemnation of the enemy. Listen to the grace of the master. He is here. His mercy is here. Oh, come on, let's respond to the word today. Let's thank you for his grace. It's a Amazing grace. Oh, it's amazing love.